Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have got Michael McElroy from Howard University on the show for you. Michael is our first returning champion of a guest, at least from a school perspective and someone I'm not married to, um, but we're really excited to have him represent Howard University on the podcast. Michael is a great example of someone going from one prestigious university to another. When we last had him on, he was the chair of the musical theater program at Michigan. But far from our only example of professors moving around, we know this too, too well. Uh, Many of our great episodes from the past few years have seen program heads shift, faculty change schools, people leave academia altogether, etc. It is a constantly evolving landscape that we are continuing to try to capture like water in a sieve. So we will try our best, which is just to say we absolutely will have people back on and programs represented once again for those that have shifted. You know, it's always a balance for us of having new programs represented versus going back to ones where the information will likely be pretty similar, but maybe with slightly a different perspective with a new head. But just to say, it's something we're conscious of in planning our guests, and we absolutely will be having those schools back on the podcast with new heads in place. Here, of course, we got the best of both worlds with a guest we love and a new great program represented. Um, I'm going to do a few quick reminders of some MTCA events before we hit some Thanksgiving gratitude. For any of our class of 2025 and younger students, our junior weekend is happening this December 2nd and 3rd online and in New York City, which is a great way to start with us as an MTCA student. It's a song, monologue, dance class, as well as an information meeting. It's really a great time. We only have a few spots left in that, so grab one of those if you're available. And for my class of 2024 seniors, our mocks are disappearing fast. Uh, We just had a great online mock last weekend. We have this December 3rd in New York City, which is full. We have December 10th in San Diego, which only has a very few spots left. And then the last mock of the year, which is January 6th, which will sell out and it'll sell out before you think it will. And after that, that's it. It's your prime audition season. So please jump into one of those if you haven't done so yet. Y'all, Am I the only one that Thanksgiving snuck up on this year? It was like Halloween, I took a nap, and here we are. Um, I hope you are all listening to this cozily ensconced in some wonderful Thanksgiving plans. Um, Of all the holiday traditions, I am a big fan of listing things we are grateful for. I love a New Year's resolution, and I love some Thanksgiving gratitude. It's really hard in a stressful year, which I think in this process is always a a personally stressful year for a lot of our students and families. You know, we're in a really difficult time geopolitically, all the thousand natural shocks that our flesh is heir to, right? But it's really hard in those moments to sit down and focus on the things we have. But oh man, is that perspective healthy and happy making for us all. You know, I feel personally like I am objectively blessed. I have an amazing wife. I have a healthy and happy daughter. I have a job I love. But that certainly doesn't make me immune from cynicism and from focusing on the things I lack all too often. So I say to you this Thanksgiving year, give yourself a gift of a gratitude practice, not just during Thanksgiving, but beyond. And if you're like me, at least count your blessings once a year at this time. And one of those blessings, of course, is to be twice graced by the great Michael McElroy from Howard University. (music) 
Well, we are so excited to welcome back Michael McElroy. Uh, Michael has a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University, been on Broadway in Sunday in the Park with George, Next to Normal, Rent, The Wild Party, Big River, for which he got a Tony nom and Drama Desk nom, and enough more Broadway shows that unbelievably we're not going to read them all. Uh, He founded the Broadway Gospel Choir in 1994 and Broadway Inspiration of Voices in 1999. Previously, he's been an associate arts professor and head of vocal performance at uh, the new school, the new studio on Broadway, excuse me, at Tisch slash NYU. Um, he was also the chair of the Department of Musical Theater at the University of Michigan when we interviewed him last. And he is currently the coordinator of the musical theater program in the Chadwick A. Bozeman College of Fine Arts at Howard University which is located in Washington, D.C., and they take classes of about 20 to 22, offer a BFA in theater arts, and we'll talk about the different uh, concentrations of musical theater, dance, acting, etc. Michael, welcome back on the pod. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm always uh, happy to spend time with you all. So thanks for having me back, Charlie. I'm honored and thrilled. Um, often my first question is to throw, uh, you know, give us in a little backstory, a little bio. I'm going to kind of assume that basically all of our listeners, many of them, will have heard your previous episodes. So they're going to get to know you a little bit already and heard your personal background. I'd love to hear just a little bit about your journey since we chatted. So what, what made the journey from Michigan to Howard? Um, why the jump? I look at every moment in my journey as being something that is predestined and that as long as I have done the work fully in the present moment, not thinking about the future, then I'm ready when the next moment comes to me. Um, you know, Part of that is just my upbringing. I'm a church kid. I'm a preacher's kid. Um, but um, I started you know, as an actor, as you said, and then this opportunity came to teach. Um, I never in a million years thought I wanted to be a teacher. My mom mm-hmm. was a teacher. But this opportunity to help create this musical theater program at NYU, the new studio on Broadway, turned out to be an incredible opportunity for me to hone my skills as a teacher, um, and specifically acting through song vocal performance. And I got to do it with this incredible group of artists who were teachers, but also still very much still working mm-hmm. in the industry. Mm-hmm. I was Kent Gash, who was our, our head of our program, and Byron Easley and Del Howlett and Donnie Lynn Fraser and Orlando Paboitore. And also in this group of artists of color, um, where we were actually building something mm-hmm. from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So we were just, uh, we were figuring out what the pedagogical practice, what the curriculum, who were the faculty going to be, what was going to be the trajectory from first year to fourth year. And so I got to do that in such a nurturing space in New York City, mm-hmm. while I also got to continue to work as an artist. Um, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, We all brilliantly um, took uh, an art form that depends on, it is, is, is uh, dependent on interpersonal connection, energy, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And we put it online, Mm -hmm. basically, uh, and made that shift. And during that time, the offer came from uh, University of Michigan. And I said yes, uh, and stepped into a position as chair, um, which was a totally different experience. And in that space, I learned what it was like to chair a program. And the difference is what? It's more administration? It's more less creative artistic control? Well, in my first year, it was all administration, which was mm-hmm. wise because it gave me an opportunity to learn how everything worked. Um, and then uh, the after that, uh, the second year, I started to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I taught a couple different courses. I taught the sophomores and I taught uh, the seniors. I co-taught those courses. Um, and then how it came along. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity to take what I had learned in both of those spaces and to um, bring it to a space that really sits at the epicenter of who I am as an artist right mm-hmm. now and how I want to give back to my community, but also to the art form. Mm. Uh, and, and so I get to do that here in this, what I what they call the Mecca, mm-hmm. what they call Howard. And from the minute I walked onto the campus, I felt like I had come home. 
So cool. And sounds like a blending of different experiences with, you know, the the new of new studio, what's happening uh, at Michigan with that very established program, trying to steer that that ship. And then just love to hear about like what what your mission is now. If you're going to say my five year plan or what, you know, what is the the goal uh, in terms of your coordination at Howard? Well, you know, I don't know how, uh, I'm sure you do because you always do your research. The The College of Fine Arts was just reinstituted two years ago mm-hmm. uh, and reinstituted under the name of Chadwick A. Bozeman College of Fine Arts um, in memory and dedication and honoring Chadwick Bozeman, who was a student here, a graduate of this university. Uh, and so under the leadership of Dean Felicia, Felicia Rashad, mm-hmm. um, they have spent the last two years rebuilding the College of Fine Arts as its own entity, as its own college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have stepped in in the third year of its iteration as a College of Fine Arts again. And it's such an exciting time because it's still in a formation space where, and we get to dream about and uh, still build what we want it to be. Mm-hmm. I know for me, uh, these last few years, uh, have changed me and like all of us in many ways. I think one of the things that COVID did for us as human beings, it has made us really question what we do mm-hmm. and what we want to do, right? You know, we saw how easily things could shift. <laughs> and so for me as an artist, as an academic, as a person in that teaches, that mentors, that also continues to be a perpetual student, um, the question became, where can I be of service in the way that Mm -hmm. really centers what I believe in in this moment? Mm -hmm. And in this moment, for me to be at this university that has been a leader in uh, creating, fostering, developing, mentoring African-American thinkers, scholars, Mm -hmm. artists, to go out into whatever field they're going out into to be change makers mm-hmm. and innovators sits at the epicenter of what I want to do with my life as it exists moving yep. forward. Um, just like when I left BIV after 27 years, I think it was 27 years, one of the things I said to the board was, you know, more of my life is behind me than is in front of uh-huh. me. So what I want to do in this moment is be quite intentional about mm-hmm. where and how I spend my time and how I give back. Yep. Um, I'd love to kind of zero in on, on uh, what the the sort of vision of a, a Howard University um, especially musical theater major is, but can we start a little bit broader because Howard is our first HBCU that's been on the podcast, Historically Black College University, um, and just talk a little bit about what that means, what it means to attend uh, an HBCU, maybe what some of the advantages and disadvantages, especially as a student, as you see, of attending an HBCU, and then maybe we can zero in on the theater arts program and then especially the musical theater program that you're coordinating. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Um I don't see any disadvantages in this. I think in this moment, what I've been able to learn in this moment uh, of being in multiple artistic spaces, as Mm -hmm. you said, coming from Carnegie Mellon, um, teaching at NYU, building a program there, going to University of Michigan, these are all like top musical theater programs. Mm -hmm. Um, What I see and understand from students, particularly what I'm starting to learn and understand from uh, students of color, particularly African-American students, is there are a couple questions that I started to see or tease out that are very for, at the forefront of how they make their, their decisions um, in terms of programs. And one of those was, you know, the financial, of course, mm-hmm. um, which is on every family's mind, but then also more so, I think, in these past few years since COVID and all the things that have happened in our country is, where will I be safe? And safe does not mean in terms of the work. Mm-hmm. It means in terms of the environment. And that environment can be the program, that environment can be the college or institution, and that, that can also mean the city where the university is. And so what I have found for me as an artist and as a, a person who teaches in academia, that that sense of safety, of that ability to bring one's full self into Mm -hmm. a space and know that there is a space that was actually created to fully accept all of who you are and to shape that 
and to challenge you to go deeper and to expand wider. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I think an HBCU offers in this moment. Mm -hmm. And what I, one of the reasons why it was important for me to be here is because I want to be a part of helping specifically African-American artists to step into the fullness of who they are in a space that was literally created for yeah. their success. And can we talk about the specifics of, so what does qualify a student to attend an HBCU? So what, what will the complexion of a class look like at an HBCU um, if you're attending one? Well, you know, I can only speak for this space. There, there is diversity here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is no mandate that says that you cannot attend here if you're not an African-American diaspora. Um, but most, I'd say most of the student population is African-American. Most being 90%? Like what, what are we, you know, in terms of, if we had to sort of guess, I'm not asking you to put that down on a 92.3, but, but does it feel like it is nearly 100? I think it's above 90%. Above 90 Yep. Yeah. You mentioned already the re-endowment, if I'm using that word correctly, of the Chadwick A. Bozeman College of Fine Arts. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what sort of distinguishes Howard as a theater school. And then maybe especially if we, we talk about the musical theater, what, what you're trying to do with it. Um, you know, what do you see when you, you meet these students? How do you find um, they distinguish themselves different than the students at NYU or the students at Michigan or the students at Carnegie Mellon? Well, I don't think that the students are different. I think that this generation is a very particular generation. I think they're all a manifestation of how they've grown up and how they've mm -hmm. been socialized. The only difference I see is here coming into an environment that was fully developed and mined and um, created for them to bring the totality of the, who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, so often, you know, as a person of color in academic spaces, you are navigating how to bring yourself in the room and at least find a way to get what you need at most to be safe, mm -hmm. right? And to take that off of the table and say, you don't have to think about that, mm -hmm. right? To be able to walk across a campus and see, like my very first day here was incredibly emotional for me because I'd never been in an academic space where most of the people that I saw, whether that's faculty, student, mm -hmm. admin, staff, look like me. Mm -hmm. I'd never had that academic experience. And it was such a, an exhale. Mm -hmm. And that is specifically speaking to where I am in my own personal journey based on the experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I think it is quite a gift to have a space that allows these students of the African diaspora to be able to come into a space and say, okay, you don't have to worry about that thing, mm -hmm. but you do have to worry, not worry about, but be fully engaged in what it means to be fully an artist and a scholar mm -hmm. and to be challenged to be the strongest, deepest, best version of yourself, yep. to learn the tools to, to engage your work, um, to grow as a human being uh, in a community that is solely focused on your success, the entirety of you as a successful yep. artist and whatever way that means with some of the most brilliant uh, pedagogues and and. Uh, teachers, I mean, I, I'm in awe mm -hmm. when I go through and look at some of the bios of the faculty that are here, who are legends and leaders in their fields. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's kind of been under the radar that you don't hear about, you know, our musical theater program, like you hear about some of the others. Yep. Well, I'm hoping to change that. I'm hoping that by being here, as we are rebuilding and reforming, it's such an exciting time. I get yep. to, be, to be a part of that, bringing all of the knowledge that I had gained as an actor for over 30 years, as a composer, and as um, a teacher and academic mm -hmm. in uh, multiple institutions. Well, my money is on you changing that. I think we're, we're going to be talking about five years and go, it has changed. That, that has uh, happened. Um, well, it's, and it's so interesting hearing uh, um, the sort of conversations about safety, because I think, you know, especially in, in COVID, we had a lot of conversations about safe spaces versus brave spaces and how can you be brave? You know, we, we all know as theater makers that in the educational aspects of this work, 
it takes a certain bravery and you cannot have bravery without safety. So in some ways you're sort of saying like you, that safety is like already a given now in some ways, that that specific kind of safety, which maybe does allow a different kind of bravery in your work to go. I don't have to be protecting myself in that way. Right. I can be brave. That's that's really cool. You're exactly right, Charlie. And it's the idea that what, what does it mean when you look across the room and see yourself reflected? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What does that mean in terms of that level of safety? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's still the human interaction and we're all human beings with all of the things that come with that. Yep. But I have found that it is incredibly powerful. And I think back on my own journey and understand that when I saw faculty members who looked like me, that was one of the strongest ways of me knowing that I could bring my full self into mm-hmm. the space. I love it. And let's talk a little bit about the curriculum now. So the, um, you know, you've, you've worked at now an NYU, which is a very, very academic for a musical theater curriculum. You've mm-hmm. trained at a Carnegie Mellon, which is a very acting based curriculum, even for the musical theater majors. You've now chaired a Michigan musical theater department, which is a really strong music uh, component to it. I just love to hear like, you know, of the three disciplines, is there a focus that Howard has or that you're going to be pulling out in different ways? Um, how do you sort of approach the music, the acting or the singing, the acting and the dancing um, as you uh, sort of shape the program? Well, it's interesting. I, I think we kind of just kind of tell on ourselves, Charlie, because we are you're a generation after after me, or maybe a few generations after me. But all of those programs have changed. Mm-hmm. They're no longer just conservatory. You know, when I was at Carnegie, you know, I had I think I took maybe three academic classes mm-hmm. in my four years, and they were all in my first year. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. To get into these programs now, your scores as a as a student have to be just as strong as your acting music dance scores, right? So what we're all saying is we are wanting to train the totality of an artist. Mm-hmm. And people say as the artist as scholar, right? Um, and also the reality is, Charlie, no one wants to work with an actor who's not smart. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, that has all shifted, I think, in all musical theater or any kind of acting training programs. You've got to have the academics to go with the art. Uh, And so here, um, what I am focused on as I get to know the um, curriculum and the faculty and the students, one, number one, the biggest rule is always to listen. Uh, So my first year as I'm teaching is really about looking, listening, asking quest, asking questions, you know, getting in there and just being a part of while thinking forward of what are some of the changes that I think I can help and offer to keep moving towards really strengthening and solidifying our mission as, mm-hmm. a, as a training program. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it's always about the synthesis, the synthesis of acting, singing and dancing, right? To me, you have to be an actor first, to be synthesizing those things as soon Mm -hmm. as possible, right? At the same time, we're also challenging our students to say, okay, just as we're saying, okay, what are you learning in that dance class? How does it uh, relate to your acting? How does it relate to your singing? We're also saying, okay, what you're learning in that biochemistry class, how does that relate to here? And So that you're looking at things in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. When students are going from high school into college, or, you know, there is that thing that we have to kind of, shed that idea of, okay, this class is this class. How do I get the A here? This Uh class, but really start to think holistically, right? And that everything contributes to the artist as a human being, as an observer and a person who is deeply interacting with the world. Uh, And so you really encouraging and supporting students, not separating yeah. but really starting to look at everything in a holistic way. Um, so that's what I think of when I'm talking about rebuilding or moving the, the curriculum forward. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we, we talk about sort of holistic uh, um, within the musical theater of it all. You know, when we talk about actors versus musical theater, um, you know, something, the point I always make is that we sort of make this distinction in the audition, of course. Am I auditioning for musical theater? Am I auditioning for acting? But of course, as soon as you come out into the world, it's like, can you sing? Great. You can be in a Broadway musical. Can you dance? Like, you know, that it's more about the the literal skill set as opposed to the the bifurcation. How does that work at Howard in terms of, is there um, interaction between the acting and the musical theater programs? How, if I was an actor and I wanted to be in the acting program, do I, can I take music classes? Can I take dance classes? How does that interaction work 
um, for the students. Good question. I know in terms of performance, all students can audition for all shows. And in well, the theater arts program in general, you audition for the whole thing. Yes, yeah. and students mm -hmm. across the campus can also audition. Mm -hmm. um, we just did a production of a play called, a hip hop play called Rhyme Deferred. It's the 50th year of hip hop. Mm -hmm. And Rhyme Deferred was actually written here by Camilla Forbes, who now uh, is the artistic director at the Apollo Theater. But she was a student here. And she wrote this hip hop play with Chadwick Boseman when he was a student. Hip hop theater was actually created here. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the plays that they did here. And that was a students who were musical theater students, acting students, students who are not in those programs. It really can be anyone who can mm -hmm. audition uh, for the programs, um, so for the shows. And then for classes, there's not, as far as I can see so far, much of an integration acting and musical theater, but there are within each um, discipline opportunities to take classes mm -hmm. like as an actor you can take movement classes you can take a dance class those kinds of things as well and i guess same question for musical theater in terms of the leveling of the dance um how does that work in terms of um can i jump to a dance uh, specific major class if i'm really more advanced how does that work in terms of the different levels of of musical theater dancers I think there is there where well, we have assessments at the beginning of the semester to see where students go, but there's also the opportunity if you you come in and you're a really strong dancer, we have a wonderful uh, dance program here, and our faculty will work with you to figure out where is the best place for you to mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. um, while you're still taking the pro the training that's within our program as well, so students are have the ability to minor. They have the ability to take additional credits in ways that they want to take credits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had students who, you know, what I've been able to glean so far, students can say, okay, this is something I'm really passionate about within the artistic field. So I'm going to take more classes here. Uh -huh. Well, and you've set me up perfectly for, you know, as you talk about uh, Carnegie Mellon and us taking three classes throughout. I took like seven classes, but yeah, it was very few non-acting classes while I was there. Um, how does that work at Howard? If I wanted to minor in something that wasn't um, theater related, if I wanted to minor in psychology or God forbid, double major, how does that work in terms of outside of the theater um, school? How, what opportunities do I have as a Howard student? Um, well, each of us are advisors for a different year. And so this is going to be my first time I'm an advisor for the second years. Um, and so they come with their schedule of what they want to take. And then I look at it to make sure that it aligns with what they have to take for the major. Mm -hmm. And then they start to look at, okay, well, this is what I have to take. This is when I have to take it. Now, I also want to make sure I can get this minor in and start to build around their classes for their, for their major. And so, I, I, you know, I think we have lots of students who minor. Just like at Michigan, I had lots of students who minored mm -hmm. in psychology. Or um, there was an entertainment um, uh, minor that students would take. Uh, you know, as I think on any at any institution today, mm -hmm. it's very different from your years and my years, there is a much more of a push in terms of making sure that you are getting a holistic experience in the academic setting. Therefore, minoring in something that's outside of your out of your focus is encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about how do you prepare students for the launch into the business itself. So I know this is now. It sounds like the the from the reendowment. It's now the third year will be the the new school itself in terms of how they're they're launching into the. The business, but what is the plan in terms of stuff like showcase, stuff like how they're going to um, interact with agents and managers, all that kind of stuff? We have a showcase that happens for our seniors in New York, um, and that will happen at the end of the spring, at the end of the next year, um, and will happen there every, every year after. Um, and uh, we have one that they do here that we film. Mm -hmm. So that there are, is a digital form that can go out into the industry and there's also the in-person live event that will happen. And we do our showcase in collaboration with the arts, with the actors. Mm -hmm. So the actors and the musical theater do their showcase together. All together. Yep. Well, and I'd love to talk about the complexion of your, your class in terms of, you call, mentioned the Mecca. So how many of your students come from the sort of Mecca area, if that makes sense, they come from the, the you know, greater DC area in those different states versus how many come from across the country, how many come from around the world. Um, and then I'd love to also talk a little bit about where they end up. Do, how many go to New York? How many LA? Do people go to Atlanta? Do people go in different directions? Yeah. They call it, which, you know, when I, I always saw the DMV as the motor vehicles. Mm -hmm. Here in D.C., the DMV is this tri-city, what we call tri-state area yep. of New York, yep. which is Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. Mm 
Um, so I think there's a, a, a sizable population that comes from the DMV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, students from, you know, places like Atlanta, uh, Houston, Dallas area, Fort mm-hmm. Bend area. And then we have some kids from the West Coast, from the Bay Area, from L.A., um, and then we have our Midwest kids. I have a student that's from Wisconsin. You know, they come from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we do have some students who are international. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on that year and who uh, applies mm-hmm. um, and who gets in to make up that cohort. But we also have programs within our department where students get to travel abroad over the summer and study. We have one called BADA that's in London. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that's in L.A. that students can do as well. Um, there's one that's potentially happening in Ghana. So, you know, hmm. we are Howard as a university is a global institution. Mm-hmm. And so now we are mandated as we are looking at our mission as a department to make sure that we are looking and thinking globally as well. So making sure that we're providing opportunities for our students, not only to go everywhere to study mm-hmm. and bring that back with them, but for other other students from other nations to be able to come and study here. And then what about the second half of that? Do you have a sense of where students end up from Howard? Or are some of them staying in the DC area? I mean, there's a great theater scene there. Do some go to New York? Where do people um, seem to end up? A lot of them go to New York. Um, a lot go like to Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and some go to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have them in most in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm hearing so far. Uh, but I'd say a bulk of them go to New York. Yep, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about cost. So. Not a cheap school from the the sticker price. You know, mm-hmm. it, I, what I found was undergrad on campus was fifty five seven zero four. Right. Um, but compared uh, to, <laughs> well, compared to some other schools that are even higher. I know. Um, but let's also. I'd love to talk about the Chadwick A. Bozeman Memorial Scholarship. So, how how does that work in terms of, you know, what would most students expect to pay? You know, if we talk about from a, a need perspective, we talk about uh, a merit, whether that's talent or academic money. How do, how do the sort of finances end, end up for most students in terms of what they're paying? Yeah, I, I'm, I think, you know, for some students, it, it, it's like it is uh, on a national scale with the Pell Grants. What federal funds do you get? And then what are the scholarships or grant monies that come from the university? Uh, And all of that is done by our admissions department. So I can get back to you on the specifics of that. Um, But I know that we are working. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about is making sure that there is um, an endowment and also um, grant monies here specifically for musical theater students Mm -hmm. so that we can um, so there are no deterrents for students coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just me speaking on in terms of my vision for yep. things, um, because I know and having been in multiple institutions, I, I know and have experienced how the admissions process and the offer process works. Yep. So I want to make sure that we are are competitive here as well. I love it. Um, is there any sort of best kept secrets about your school? I mean, you sort of mentioned the, uh, you're hoping it won't be such a secret. It'll be less and less of a secret over the course of the next couple of years and with your leadership. But um, what's something that maybe if people, if Howard wasn't on, on the map, what's something that they've been doing for a while that you go, uh, this, this is, more people should know about this. More people should know about what's been happening here. Well, I mean, I'll just give you an example of this the last couple of weeks. Um, two Mondays ago, we had Misty Copeland here. Um, she has produced and stars in a documentary that she created about the homeless crisis in, um, outside of Oakland. And we um, had the movie uh, premiere here, mm-hmm. um, shown here, uh, and she was here. Uh, and it was a, a, an evening to show the film, then also to speak with our students. We had a reception beforehand where she could interact with some of our students, specifically from the dance program as well. Mm-hmm. Then three days later, the August Wilson Society was here doing an event um, that our dean co-hosted. And then this past Sunday, we had a Hattie McDaniel uh, uh, day evening where her a copy of her Academy Award was returned here to the university and now sits in the hallway in a case. And her descendants were here to talk about her life and her experience. So there's all these incredible things that are always happening mm-hmm. here that unless you ha- are actively you know, connected to Howard, 
you may not know about. And, and I also want to make sure that we're starting to get that word out so people yep. can start to know about these wonderful things, because that's also a part of the experience here. Yep. And part of the experience is not just the training, not just the education, but it's also about how we are connecting to legacy, mm -hmm. how we're connecting to what came before, and how we are also um, inspiring for what's to come. Mm -hmm. uh, and so having these different artists who are coming here um, to talk about their work, uh, having these things that have to do with generations past that are coming here, this is, it's just, it's just such an exciting time. Mm -hmm. And then also the other thing is, you know, is the social aspect of being at an HBCU. Mm -hmm. You know, my first day here, I was looking out my window onto the quad and there was, you know, uh, the marching band, mm -hmm. you know, and then a few minutes later, there were all these different fraternities and sororities doing a step show. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like there is a social community aspect that's cultural that you won't find in other institutions that you'll find in HBCUs that I think is really exciting mm -hmm. about what it means to go here. So well said. Okay, we're gonna take a short break and on the back end, we'll chat a little bit about the audition process. So back in a flash. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. All right, we are back with Michael McElroy from Howard University, and we're going to chat a little about the audition and admission process. Yes. So I'd just love to chat through um, the audition and admission process in terms of, you know, first off, just what you're looking for when you look at auditions for musical theater students. So what is a, a good musical theater audition for you? Um, that's a great question. I don't think that changes no matter, it doesn't change whether, whether I'm at, you know, NYU, Michigan, or here. Yep. I'm looking for talent and potential. Yep. Right? Uh, we learn so much about a young artist by the material they choose and how they engage that material. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because we're in this, you know, early decision, early action video world where you submit all these videos, every opportunity that of what you submit is an opportunity for us to get to know who you are. Right? So the music you choose, how you engage that material, um, we've now instituted in our early decision, early action, and moving forward in all the submissions that we do online, a wild card of you can either answer one of two questions or you can do something that's not included in the mandatory mm -hmm. video submissions. That's an opportunity for us to get to know you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I encourage students to pick material that they're passionate about, that shows what they can do, not what they cannot. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, that they know, for example, when they slate, that they know who wrote the material that they're uh -huh. um, going to share and that they pronounce their names correctly. Right? Little things like that. Um, and then, you know, well, like I said, I'm not looking for a finished product. I'm looking for someone that when I see them, there's a spark there, there's talent there that can be developed, that could be really super raw, but yeah but it's there um, and I'm looking for potential, meaning there's potential for growth. Yep. And I'm looking for someone I'm going, will I be a service to that student when yep. they come? 
And how does it work with the different, you know, platforms? So especially you mentioned those videos. So people are uploading videos yes. and then there are callback auditions. Yes. Are you, is the video for you a check for talent? And then the callback is a deeper dive. Do you come back to the video at the end? How does that work in terms of sort of the way that you're using, you're viewing that video submission along with the application and then the, the callback audition itself? Well, this is my first time going through the process here, but I can tell you what I've always, I, I've always done is the first viewing is for that, do, is this there's what I think needs to be here to call that person mm -hmm. back to come in person? Mm -hmm. And then the call back in person is about, does this fulfill what I thought it did or does it take me somewhere even that I didn't even see, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, and I think it's wonderful we live in a, in a time where there are lots of support systems around helping students to prepare for college and specifically around musical theater auditions. But when I see you in person, I always give a note. Mm -hmm. I always give an adjustment. I wanna see if a student can take a note and not do what they've already been doing, mm -hmm. right? Or is it so you know, baked in that they can't you know, and it, is, and it usually is something that's kind of out there that makes yep. no sense because yep. I want to see, can this young artist say yes? yes. Can they play? Yes. Right. And then once they've, we've had that, then yes, I will sometimes go back and look at the videos just to see what my assessment is. Uh -huh. And if, I, if I'm still having questions about something or, yep. you know, but we spend a lot of time because we understand for these students, they put a lot of time and effort into their work. Yep. We want to make sure that we respect that on our end. Yep. Um, in every way possible. So, you know, I do spend a lot of time going back and forth. I love that you said that. This is Your timing is perfect for, we just did a, a mock audition where I was trying to underline that exact point for our students where um, I had asked like a group of them, like, what's the worst thing that could happen if you get an adjustment? And someone raised their hand, they're like, it could be really, really bad. And I was like, that is far from the worst thing that could happen. Oh, it I is so it. much worse if you did it the same. Like, I would so much rather you go and be terrible. And then it's like, that's on me. I gave you that crazy adjustment as opposed to like, if you just do it the exact same. Now I start wondering, are you overly coached? Are you stuck? Is there no, are you not willing to play with me? So I'm going to underline and say what you just said and put it online and all the things. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about, do you look, you know, and I know this is your first time going through this process. Do you uh, look and or are planning on looking at any of the other parts of the application that aren't the wild card, that aren't the, the sort of theater arts part of it? Do you look at grades or um, SATs? I know SATs are optional um, for Howard, we, we found, but do you read the essays and stuff like that? Letters of rec, anything else that you, you sort of take in from the application? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have all of those things. And I think that once again, when you're looking at the totality of, if you're looking, if you're saying you're looking to train the whole artist, then you need to look at all those things, mm -hmm. right? And we do, um, we are in partnership with the admissions office, right? But I think in my past experiences and what I've seen thus far, we have access to a lot of information and we make sure that we do our due diligence. Mm -hmm. Because once again, we want to look at all of it to understand, is this a space where this young person can thrive? Mm -hmm. And then as you think about filling out your class, you know, so often when we use the word diversity, we're trying to say beyond just racial diversity. But, you know, when you're considering diversity of, you know, of height and of gender balance and size and, you know, maybe specifics of racial diversity within, uh, you know, the diaspora you mentioned, is there, how do you think of that? I mean, are you thinking of, um, do you have specific uh, quotas of we want to be about even male and female identifying? You know, how do you think about the the way you fill out the class um, of your individual artists? Well, you know, this is my first time, so I don't know how it will be, but I do know that um, I would like there to be some form of, of or closeness to balance in terms of how students identify, mm -hmm. male identifying female identifying um, students. Um, so that because that affects the kind of material we can do in class, what, mm -hmm. what kind of material we can then do on stage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but other than that, you know, it's 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 a far step away from the day like our day of I want the blonde. I want the this, mm -hmm. I want that. Right. I'm interested in artists, young artists who are passionate and who have are curious in addition to have talent and potential, I want you to be curious. I mm -hmm. bring joy in the room, uh, who um, are thinkers, mm -hmm. who don't, um, you'd be surprised how much you can find out in the moment of in-person auditions. 
about, you know, is this a student who's going to go there, who's going to mm -hmm. risk, who doesn't mind failing, who doesn't mind, but is going to be joyful in the space? All of those things contribute to a, creating a cohort of artists. I'm really more interested in building a cohort of artists that are going to challenge each other, support each other, you know, and that's always, a, you know, a luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can tease out in those audition moments certain qualities that, you know, you look at and kind of, send off kind of bells for you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's certain things, we're, we're energy people, right? We're in, energy beings. So just kind of getting a second sense of when I'm uh, working with a young artist in an audition situation, paying attention to my gut instincts about things. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately I want them to thrive. And is there something, you know, is there something that, that you are um, sniffing for in terms of, you know, <laughs> of going, I think you would be particularly, you would particularly thrive at an HBCU? Does, does that, you know, I know it's about the first time you're going to go through this process, but is that something you're, you're looking for as you say, hey, I think this kind of student either would be especially good for us or mm -hmm. maybe wouldn't fit as well for us in terms of like the interview or is there anything you're sort of checking to go, I think this would be a really great home for you? I think um, most students of the African diaspora, this would be a good space for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't know that because they've never been in spaces. Sometimes they haven't been in spaces right. where they've been not been the one or two or three or four. Um, so I think any student of the African diaspora, I think, would thrive here. Um, so there's not a student of that of, of like I said, of the African diaspora, who I think would not. Right. This one, I would go. Oh, you wouldn't do well. I mean, there there may be multiple spaces where they could thrive. But and I guess I wonder, you know, if you're a non-black listener, are mm -hmm. there students where you go, well, because of your background, because of your history, this actually might be a great fit for you, or someone where you go, I'm not sure that it would be as good of a fit for you. You might not, you might not thrive as well here. Yeah, I don't think that we. Once again, this is the first time I'm going through it, so I don't. I, but there is no like denying anyone based right. on on race. I know that's for sure. And as I said, there is some diversity here. Yep. Um, so once again, it's about instinct and really about the brief in terms of what are the things, the benchmarks, the things that we are looking for, mm -hmm. which are very clearly delineated for us. And then me as an artist and as a teacher going, okay, what am I getting in this moment? And do I think that this is a good fit? Race doesn't play into that ever. Totally. Um, let's do some bonus questions um, because I know we also want to talk a little bit about young arts. I know you sit on the board of this um, really awesome scholarship opportunity. Uh, this is a competition that we recommend to all of our students. We just chatted it about in our most recent webinar on scholarship opportunities. But can you talk about some of the rewards of it, both financial and then some of the non-financial rewards as well? Great. I'm actually a young arts alum. Mm -hmm. I was actually in the second year of his existence back in the 80s. Um, and I'm a testament, a living testament to the fact that once you are a part of that family, you remain a part of that family. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, right now I serve on the board of, of Young Arts, uh, but there are many different ways in which it can really be something phenomenal in a young artist's life. For me, coming from a you know, suburb in Shaker Heights, Ohio, it was the first time that someone outside of my world said that I had talent, that mm -hmm. I had something, and they wanted to celebrate it and foster it and support it. Um, if you apply in one of the 10 disciplines uh, and you are chosen, there are three different tiers, I guess you could say. You could be chosen as a finalist. Mm -hmm. If you're chosen as a finalist, that means they fly you down to Miami in January. Who doesn't want to be in Miami in January? Um, where you are there for a week with... 20 to 21 other uh, young artists in high school in your discipline. And there is a performance aspect to that where you, you prepare a show. And then the rest of that time is spent in workshops, master classes mm -hmm. with this cohort that you travel through that week with, also at the same time seeing all the other disciplines work every evening. Mm -hmm. From that, you can either be, uh, you can get an, a, a a, a grant or I mean a scholarship rather from anywhere from $1,000 to $10,000 to do with as you want. It does mm -hmm. not have any restrictions on it. If you want to take that $10,000 and go take dance classes, you can do that. If you want to go to Vegas, you can do that? Right. Most of the students, they, they won't do that. They will use it either for college or they'll use yeah. it for their art. Uh, but also if you're not chosen as a finalist, you can also be chosen as an honorable, honorable mention or merit 
uh, finalists, which then means that you are eligible for all of the things as a, an alum of the program mm -hmm. of the Young Arts family, um, which includes anywhere from being a part of the regional shows that they do. They do regional shows in Miami, New York. Right now, I think we used to do them also in LA. Uh, and then also the, the grants. Mm -hmm. um, we are working to make sure that we are supporting our student, our, our alums in having opportunities for collaborations with other arts organizations and arts mm -hmm. institutions, um, uh, building spaces where they can come and create work and collaborate with other artists, mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, and it really is for life. And we're really looking at how we're supporting artists uh, at the beginning of their career, which is really mm -hmm. that post high school, college, out into the world, then at that midpoint in their career, and then also into the later years of their career as alums, because the needs are different. Yeah. Um, because Young Arts really believes that the arts are an integral part of our world. Yeah. Uh, and so making sure that we are celebrating and really finding how to support at those main kind of touch points in in the in the young in an artist's career is is really um, an integral part of how we're uh, of our mission. Well, we, we talk about it a lot with our artist guests of just like the value of community. And many people get that from their alumni networks of their schools. Great. But depending what school you go to and how robust that is, it, it cannot hurt to have more communities in, no. that, when you move to New York. As many as much support and communities you can have um, yes. when you're here is always helpful to people. Yeah. Um, yes. I'd love to dive in a little bit of like, uh, you mentioned the sort of post-college world and so what young arts can do, but just in general, you know, as a as an artist who has been so connected to the industry while still living in the educational world, mm -hmm. where do you see this industry going? Like, you know, <laughs> where do you see these kids? They're creating a whole new world. I and mean, we're, we're all trying to figure out what this industry is going to be post-strike. We record this post-writer strike, but still within the actor's strike. Um, yeah. You know, where do we see, you know, four years from now, these, these students graduating into? Well, you know, I think uh, when we shut down, when the industry shut down, there was a lot of attention and uh, work towards change. But we are creatures of habit. And once we were back up and running, there is a tendency to kind of go just get things back to business. Mm -hmm. And I think this generation that's coming out now will be an absolute vital part of making sure that we're still moving things forward mm -hmm. and we're still creating spaces for diversity where all across all aspects of our of the fields within our industry so that there are stories being told um, that represent the 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 vast lived experiences of our country and of our world uh, and so i think what I, what I always think about with my students is I want you to have the tools to be able to go out and meet the industry exactly where it is right now and do everything that is required of you. But I also want you to have the tools that you can be a change maker mm -hmm. and make it into what we only can dream it can be. Mm -hmm. So you're not only having the tools for now, we also want to train you with the tools for five years from now. Yep. Right. And this generation they are activated in a different way. Yep. And if we can channel that activation towards, you know, grace in spaces, mm. um, healing spaces, but also still advocating that things move forward, mm -hmm. I, I think that it's going to transform our industry. I, I mean, I think that second part is, it has never been more necessary, just in terms of they're graduating to a world, that, the, an industry that doesn't fully know itself still. I mean, yeah. that there's part of the old, there's some of the new, there's no there's no cohesive, this is what we are, whether it's regional theater or film or, you know, Broadway. So they're going to need a lot of that second part of things of, of creating the new and, you know, of what 2027, I guess, for these students will look like. But, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, any final thoughts? I, I had you give advice last time, but um, if you want to give some advice to the parents out there who are listening, to the students who are going through this process or, you know, any other final thoughts, if you're like, my advice last time was great. I got nothing new to say there. That's so I don't remember what I said last time, but I will say this. Um, I think I probably said this. Uh, if you can, like we, with our auditions, I think it's important that we are, uh, accessible to everyone. So in every part of our audition process, there's a virtual component, meaning if you if you live out of the country or if you can't afford to get here, because we do want to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, finances are, are hard during this mm -hmm. college application uh, season. Um, we want to make sure that students who can't afford to get here or for other reasons can't get here, that there is a virtual component that they can mm -hmm. do a, a, of the audition process. But if you can, 
always try to go to that institution, mm-hmm. always try to walk across that campus. I know for me, and I don't know if it was like for you, but when I, the minute I got out of that car on, I think it was Forbes Avenue. Yep. And walked across, which you probably don't know, Skibo and the old. Um, it, it's this a whole coffee. podcast is trying to figure out Charlie's age right now. You're trying to be like, was Skibo no. around? Was it this? Was it and more I, would get? Yeah. I I uh, but <laughs> but when I walked across that campus, it felt right, and uh-huh. then it only had to be proven or disproven when I walked into a class. Uh-huh. And when I walked in class, it was like, oh, wow, I sat there and went, yes, this is it. There's an energy that you feel when you walk across a campus that you know or you can see yourself there. And not only see yourself there, but see yourself thriving there. Right. And so I always say, if you can go there, if you can't at least see if you can talk to students who are in that first year's uh, cohort so that you get a sense of it, not the party line, but a real sense of what that experience will be like for you. Um, and ask a lot of questions. Yep. And is that, that, I mean, certainly advice we would always give in terms of before you would attend a university. Do you feel like for the audition portion, is that important to you that someone comes to campus and, and does it live? And, and I also didn't get to ask about, you know, I know, I don't know if it's all nailed down yet in your, your first year of doing this, but do you have a sense of what regional auditions you might be? Are you going to be going to a unified alongside New York, Chicago, LA? I almost didn't want to ask you that just in case you didn't feel ready for it. But just in terms of um, how important is it that live experience to be on campus for you when auditioning versus if they auditioned somewhere else virtually or or in one of these other opportunities and then came to the campus for you? Uh, well, we're doing two um, unifieds uh, virtually this mm-hmm. year. I'm really starting to expand back out into that world. That's a part of what we want to continue to reestablish those connections. So we're starting with the virtual version of that. Um, but students are never, um, it's never a, a negative that they, if they only do virtual, right? right? Um, I'm just saying for me, one of the things that was so incredibly valuable to me when I was making this decision over- In deciding to attend. Yeah. Was when I, when I, but I could do that because I was in Cleveland two and a yeah. half hours from Pittsburgh. That's right. right? That's not always possible. Yeah. But, you know, as I, I think I did say before, so often we get caught up in the idea of a place or what uh-huh. we're told is the place. And every place that is the place may not be the place that's going to be right for you. Yeah. So I say that keeping an open mind and really asking yourself the tough questions about what do I, what does it take for me really to be challenged and where can I thrive? That may be in a program in Oklahoma, as opposed to New York City, mm-hmm. or that may be in Michigan, or it may be in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But to be honest about what's going to be best for you, as opposed to where you think you're supposed to go, because that is considered the best. Mm-hmm. So True. It's great advice. Um, anything else we want to say, or, and also where people can follow you? Um, we I, we have a website, of course. We have we found Hu Fine Arts mm-hmm. on socials. If that's the right social to tag, yeah. or if there's other um, places people should be following, um, how's the best way to get more information on yes. your things change? To go to our website um, and and put in the theater arts. Mm-hmm. But also, we're going to start, and it's part of my my uh, charge is to start really amping up our social media presence. But see, now we've been talking talking about your age all day. So now what are you talking about? Social media? This is not... That's the generation, right? This is not good. This is not... We can't be over 40 trying to do social media. We'll embed it in an email for you. We'll, we'll, <laughs> Thank we'll you. send good. you an email and we'll embed a video in uh, it. I need an email. I need an email, maybe a text message. If it's on social media, I miss it completely. It doesn't... <laughs> this is my, my, my wife now uh, um, when she was we were dating. I could not believe every business I'd be like looking at their website to see what happens. She goes, that's not where the information is. It's on their Instagram. It's like, yep. are you kidding me? I got to go to the Instagram to see their hours of operation. Yep. There it is. Welcome to the world. It's changing (laughs) all around us, Charlie. We either got to get in or get out. It sure is. Well, until next year when we have you back on, it was great chatting with you, Michael. I I really, really appreciate it. All right. And thank you all for the wonderful work that you do. Oh, boy. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Michael, our first returning champion of a guest, and a smash hit, if I do say so myself. And I do. I say so myself.
Um, I have a few mini takeaways today. Uh, first, I want to make sure I addressed Michael's comment in which I believe he insinuated that I was old, how could he, um, about the nature of schools being more academic than they were in his day. Um, I think it's a really great perspective for you to hear in terms of someone who attended a conservatory BFA program in Carnegie Mellon and then has worked at a number of excellent liberal arts style BFA programs like NYU, Michigan, now Howard. So certainly his experience of those programs suffuses that perspective. But I also think some of that generational part of the comment is really smart in the way that in Michael's time, they might have been viewing, you know, acting as more of a, a craft or, a, you know, maybe viewed as more of a technician back in the olden days, right? Acting is more almost a, a vocational training and how that's really shifted across the landscape of the business. We now want informed, smart actors with perspectives on the world. You know, that word multi-hyphenate has become so overused on this podcast and everywhere that I'm sure you're almost sick of it, but for good reason, that is reacting to what was for a long time the expectation, which is that you had no hyphens. You were expected to be an actor who was trained deeply on this technical craft, and that was your sole focus. And the idea of being a teacher or a director or a writer might mean you were taken less seriously, whereas now those hyphens only increase your marketability and your artistry to the world. But the reason I'm bringing this up is anytime I hear a general statement like that doesn't exist anymore, I just wouldn't want you to hear that as literally true. There certainly still are conservatory-style BFA programs where the focus is more on the artistic classes than the liberal arts classes and where the GPA is not factored in as heavily in admissions, etc. While the holistic idea, I think, is really helpful, the specifics of how admission is factored in in class curriculum, that still varies from school to school on that spectrum, which is part of the reason you listen to this podcast to get all of that specific information from school to school. Changing topics, I just also want to quickly underline and kind of plus one on two things um, Michael started talking about. The first is just the way he talked about, can you take a note? You know, we've talked about this a number of different times on the subject of adjustments and the kind of audition skills that go beyond the initial material. But I really like the way Michael phrased it. I thought another great perspective on hearing what goes beyond just the stuff that I bring in in terms of that interaction that happens uh, in the room. And lastly, I just want to underline uh, the comments about safety. I mean, I think Michael put it really well. Uh, we've talked about this a, in a bit in some of sort of the risk-taking takeaways that we've done before. But I guess the part I want to underline in terms of my perspective is just how important safety is in order to be brave. I do think sometimes people get that a little twisted and think that you either need to feel safe or you need to put yourself in a place where you think you can take risks, which somehow is an unsafe place, right? And in general, I think you need the former to achieve the latter. You need safety in order to achieve bravery, right? Taking artistic risks in a place where you don't feel physically or psychologically safe can be really unhealthy. And on the other end of that spectrum, of course, you don't want to look for an artistic home that is so concerned with any potential lack of safety that it actually discourages risk-taking. But that sweet spot, the balances I think that most colleges are looking for, is to have a place with enough baseline safety and trust that I'm able to take a leap and really put myself out there vulnerably and grow. You know, if, if I were to think my classmates are I don't know, secretly filming me to post a video online or to, to make fun of me later, that's just never going to be a classroom where it's possible for me to do my best artistic work. Um, this is why many of you in your high school English classes may have experienced this. Your high school English class is probably not getting your best version of Romeo during the classroom reading of Romeo and Juliet, right? If you really go for it, you risk being deemed uncool. Uh, so maybe you're going to play it safe or you're going to comment on the work with a funny British accent so you don't ever really have to show up and be vulnerable. And conversely, of course, if a professor is so afraid of possible offense or harm to me, the student, that they're never willing to give me any challenging material or push me in any way, that's not a place where I would personally find the most growth. But this idea of safety is why some students uh, choose to go to school outside of New York City. Maybe they take all New York City schools out of their list because they don't, they feel it's going to be too real if they know a big agent or casting director could walk into their shows. Of course, that's conversely why some people are excited by those schools, and they'll feel like their work itself can't be safe. You know, also, you can talk about safety in the context of the conversation we had a few weeks back in our American University episode about geographical safety. If there's certain locations or environments where you're not going to feel safe and supported by your community, it's probably not the best place for you. But I think what Michael's talking about when he says safety is more of that psychological safety of being amongst a peer group that instantly understands you. And I think he put that really well in the episode. You know, it's a privilege that I have had in almost every artistic room I've walked into as a white, straight, cis person. I mean, I may have been the minority gender in most of my dance classes, but I have rarely felt like I had to explain or speak for my identity in an artistic setting. 
and this is the gift that an HBCU can offer for interested students. Of course, Howard's gain can become another college's loss in losing that potential diverse perspective that might enrich the experience of those non-HBCUs. But for you, the individual artist, that's not your responsibility. For your college experience, you get to decide where do you learn the best, and in this case, where that balance of safety and bravery can be found. Well, that's it. Another episode of Mapping the College Audition. We are eternally grateful to Megan Cordier for producing our show, as well as my wonderful assistant, Kelly Prendergast, who I don't believe I've yet shouted out on this podcast, but who helps book and prepare our interviews as well as our social media posts. Thank you to both of you wonderful ladies, both MDCA alums. Shout out. We could not do the show without you. Um, of course, I got to say a big thank you to you, the listeners, for your time and attention. Of course, an extra thank you for those who took time to rate and review us on the podcast. We deeply appreciate that. But just your downloads and your listens themselves are deeply appreciated. Um, our audience has grown steadily each year we've done this podcast. And I know a big part of that comes from personal referrals from all of you. So thank you for that. Um, and while we're thanking, should we thank our theme song composer, Will Reynolds, and our vocalist extraordinaire, Elizabeth Stanley? Sure, we might as well. The latter can never be thanked enough. You want more gratitude? Follow us at Mapping the College Edition on Instagram or MTCA at MT College Editions on TikTok. Check us out on our website for more information about how we can help you with your individual college prep needs. And hopefully I'll see many of you at Junior Weekend on December 2nd and 3rd or MTCA Mock Auditions this month in New York City or San Diego or, of course, January 6th in New York City as well. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, what Thanksgiving side are you most looking forward to eating and why is it not yams? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.